0: This is the Trails Church podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel, in community, and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now, here's today's podcast. As you open your Bible with me to Acts chapter 1, I would like us to rehearse how each of the four Gospel accounts conclude. In the last scene of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus and his closest friends are gathered in Galilee on a mountaintop. The disciples had witnessed firsthand how Jesus had loved and lived among them, been crucified and miraculously resurrected. And now his final words to them contain The Great Commission, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's how the Gospel of Matthew comes to a close the earliest manuscripts of the Gospel of Mark halt abruptly with angels announcing the news of resurrection to a couple of women who had gone to anoint Jesus' body. And then they flee, trembling and astonished. The Gospel of John ends with a scene of Jesus and Peter beside the Sea of Galilee. And before he signs off, he writes, Now there are many other things that Jesus did, Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So while those three evangelists finish their accounts of Jesus' birth and life and death and resurrection, at this point, the Gospel of Luke goes a step further. It goes on to include one of those other things that John writes about, a thing that few books are written on. A subject that is often overlooked, yet a central tenet to the Christian faith. The ascension of Jesus Christ. Luke writes about it like this. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up. Carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And we're continually in the temple blessing God. We have an entire month of our calendar set aside to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Uh, many Christians observe a 40-day period of the calendar year meant to help them remember the death and the resurrection of Jesus, a season called Lent. However, Ascension Day The day when Jesus was lifted into the air and eventually lifted into the presence of God quietly comes and goes with no fanfare. Year after year. You didn't buy your spouse a gift for Ascension Day. Kids, you should maybe ask for one from your parents for Ascension Day. Keep that in your back pocket. No parties are thrown. Yet, without the ascension of Christ we would have an incomplete gospel. This critical event is recorded in the New Testament. It's referred to by many different terms, like to go up, to be taken up, to be exalted. It's mentioned explicitly and implicitly, as we will see, in all five of Peter's sermons throughout the book of Acts, as well as all of the other speeches, gospel speeches, that Luke records here. It is sung of in one of the earliest Christian hymns recorded in 1 Timothy 3, verse 16. The final lyric of that song says that Christ was taken up in glory. It's also included in most of the church creeds throughout history, beginning with the Apostles' Creed, which confesses Jesus Christ has ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of of the Father. The ascension is one of the most thrilling moments in the life of Jesus, and also perhaps one of the most overlooked. And so I just pray as we explore this passage this morning that we might marvel at and remember and celebrate the ascension as we worship the risen and ascended Lord. The question I want to shape our thoughts this morning is this. How has the ascension of Christ changed your life? How has the ascension of Christ changed your life? The ascension, recorded in Acts 1, to 9-11, details one of the most significant events in the course of redemptive history. This occasion has massive implications on the church through the ages past in our lives today, and even our future. So as we study the ascension of Christ, we'll focus first on its reality, then on its meaning, and finally on the comforts that come with it. Would you please stand with me if you're able as we read together Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. This is God's holy and inerrant word. And when he had said these things... The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. The first aspect I'd like to draw your attention to is the reality of the ascension, particularly in verses 9 and 10. We learned last week that Luke writes as a historian and a theologian as well as an evangelist. Luke writes these verses as a historian, carefully recording the simple, and straightforward facts of what happened. He also writes as a theologian, wanting you and me to understand the theological realities of this event. But above all, he writes as an evangelist, wanting us to believe in the ascension and ultimately the ascended one. This passage focuses on the visible demonstration and the intentional details of the ascension. Luke documents this visible demonstration of the ascension first. And and, You know, we live in an age of CGI effects where movie superheroes fly through the air and even soar through other galaxies. So we must understand that what happens here included no smoke and mirrors. This is not a fictitious story. This is the really real. Jesus was lifted up into the presence of God right in front of the disciples. They beheld this with their own eyes. The very one who created gravity now defied its natural law. Luke emphasizes the presence of these eyewitnesses repeatedly using visual language. I want to show you. Look at this. Uh, specifically verses 9 to 11. Verse 9 says they were looking on as a cloud took him out of their sight. Verse 10 adds they were gazing, looking intently into heaven. Verse 11 reiterates they were looking skyward after Christ disappeared as they are assured that Christ will return in the same way that they saw him. Five times Luke using visual language, the optical words, to help us see the visual demonstration of the ascension of Christ as he is taken up in the glory. Look closer at this passage and some of the intentional details that Luke includes in describing this event. Nothing is listed by accident, beginning with these clouds. Clouds hold a significant place throughout scripture, often communicating the presence of God or even where heaven and earth meet. It was a cloud of God's presence that led the Israelites through the wilderness, a cloud of God's glory that rested on Mount Sinai as the word of God was given to Moses. In a prophetic vision given in Daniel chapter 7 verse 14, uh, Daniel sees that the one like the Son of Man would come on clouds of heaven of course some of the disciples would have remembered just months beforehand standing on the mount of transfiguration as jesus is talking with elijah and moses where luke 9:34 says a cloud wrapped around the mountain as the voice of god thundered or even how elijah himself in second kings chapter 2 verse 11 ascended with a whirlwind or you might translate that with a cloud. Yet this cloud would escort Jesus from earth. John Chrysostom said the royal chariot was sent for him. The next detail is angels. Luke doesn't specifically state it, but he intends his readers to understand that these men are not just men, but angelic messengers. You'll notice the familiar white robes that they're dressed in. Um, just like the two men who appeared to the women at the tomb, who were wearing, one of my favorite Easter phrases, dazzling apparel, Luke 24, 4. In Luke 1, if you'll remember, there were angels attending and announcing the birth of Christ. He's recording angels present again at the resurrection of Christ. So of course it makes sense that we would see angels here at the ascension. At the ascension, angels announced to disciples this good news and what it means for them. The final detail we'll observe is heaven. As we think about this happening right in front of the disciples, we need to understand when Luke says that Jesus ascended into heaven, this doesn't mean that he just floated up in the air and then through the stratosphere and past the moon and the planets, and even right now Jesus has a spacesuit on, you know, like you see the spacemen. No, no, none of that. Three times he records that Jesus was taken to heaven with God. This is not a place just beyond the stars. This is to the place that the stars come from. The very presence of God. So I just want to pause for a moment here, having rehearsed these visible signs that Jesus is the ascended one, that he is, in other words, the Messiah, the one that was long foretold, just to ask, do you believe in the ascension? Do you believe in the ascension, the real ascension of Jesus? Scripture tells us there is only one man who came from heaven through the miracle of of the incarnation. And only one who returned to heaven through the miracle of the ascension. And the only way that's possible is because he is not just a man. He is God in flesh. Completely God. Completely man. And this God-man came to seek and save that which was lost. Sinners in need of a savior. And so let me ask, Are you lost in your sin? Are you lost in your sin? Do you need to be rescued? Look for yourself to Jesus and believe. Lift your eyes to the one who came to save from sin. Believe, not only in the reality of the ascension, but also the ascended Christ. Now let's explore the meaning of the ascension. We, we won't make our way to the next verse as we would typically do here. Instead, I want us to pull over for a minute and think about what this means. When you drive down the interstate through beautiful areas, um, there are scenic byways you can take to take it all in. Theologians call this an excursus. And so what I want to do is just pull over the truck for a minute, enjoy this view, and do a quick excursus on the ascension and consider what this means means. Specifically, I want to focus on the present ministry of Jesus. Often when we think of Jesus, we rightly reflect on things that he has done in the past. And we anticipate things that Jesus will do in the future. Yet the ascension helps us think about what Jesus is doing right now. So what is Jesus doing right now, you ask? I'm so glad you asked. I have five things. There's more than this, uh, but I have five things I want to just bring to your attention. First, Jesus is dwelling in us by his Spirit. In John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus tells his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the Helper will not come to you. Well, how could it be better than if Jesus was with us physically? Well, the incarnate Christ was limited by space and time, by virtue of his humanity, by the taking on of human flesh. But the glorified and ascended Christ would be able to dwell not only among us, but in us. Jesus' ascent did not mean he would be absent from us, but that he could actually be more present. This is a mystery. More present by his spirit dwelling in us. So Jesus is dwelling in us by his spirit right now. Second, Jesus is interceding for us, praying for us. Hebrews 7.25 says that Christ is able to save to the uttermost Those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Praying for them continually. We even get a glimpse of this before his ascent. As Jesus lifts his hands in a blessing before he goes into the presence of God. Those are the same steps that Aaron, the first high priest, took before he entered the tabernacle to complete that first sacrifice. We see that in Leviticus chapter 9, 22, and 23. Now, Jesus, the true and better high priest, who prayed over his first disciples, continues to pray over you and me. He makes intercession for us. Jesus is praying for you right now. Jesus intercedes for us. Jesus is also building his church. He's building his church. Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 8, Paul writes, When he ascended on high, he's pointing to the ascension, he led a host of captives, and then he gave gifts to men. He goes on to explain how the gifts that God gives are his people. Prophets and evangelists, shepherds, teachers... All aimed at the equipping of the saints for the building up of the body of Christ. But make no mistake, it's not we who build the body of Christ. It's Jesus who builds his church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is also preparing a place for us. In those final hours with his disciples, Jesus says in John fourteen six, I go... To prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, there you may also be. So while we scurry about buying and selling houses that will one day be rubble, the Lord Jesus Christ right now is preparing for you a home that will endure eternity. Do you ever feel homesick? it's because you're not home yet. But right now a home is being prepared for you. And finally, Jesus is reigning over all, not in a future time, right now. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 and 20 through 22 says that God raised Christ, same word, ascending, raising, resurrecting, lifting God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. So the ascension is the coronation of the king. King Jesus whose blood was shed On behalf of sinners, whose resurrection was proof that that payment, the payment of sin, was made in full before the Father. And now he's ascended the throne. He's defeated the powers of sin and Satan and death. And now he sits, resting to rule and reign over the entirety of all creation, including your life. So last week we focused on the continuing work of Christ as the theme, one of the themes of the book of Acts. I hope you see with fresh eyes this morning that while the saving work of Christ is once and for all done, the same Jesus who conquered death and ascended to the Father is alive and well. That Christ in this very moment is dwelling in us by his spirit, interceding for us before the throne of God, building up his church, preparing a place for us. Oh, and he rules and reigns over all, every headline, every news clip, every moment of our day. So, Is there one of those aspects of the present ministry of Christ that you need to specifically give thanks for today? Is there one of those just quick reminders that hits you in the heart this morning? That you can respond to the Lord, the ascended one. With worship and thanksgiving. Well, that's just the beginning of the meaning of the ascension. We could spend more time here, but we will move on. The final category I'd like to point you to is the comforts that flow from the ascension. The comforts that flow from the ascension. As we jump back into the scene, I want you to imagine how the disciples must feel. Their eyes are marveling. Their heads are spinning. Uh, Their hearts are pounding. Jesus had just been taken up in a cloud past the point of their understanding. And before Luke moves on, we're met with two great comforts. The first one, the one contained in this passage, is that Christ will come again. Verse 11 The angels announced that the same Jesus they saw ascend into the heaven will one day return in the same way that he departed. This would have filled their hearts with courage, their minds with anticipation, their lives with longing for this promised day and a promise it was. This same Jesus will come again and his return will be as real and Personal and bodily and visible as when he left. We don't want to read too far into the phrase in the same way because the day of his return will will not just be for a handful of people on a mountain in the Middle East. But Luke doesn't want us to be confused that Jesus might return with just a spirit or for other people to show up and say, See, I'm him returned. No, no, he's giving us signs, he will come down from heaven. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7 says the exact same thing. Behold, he is coming on the clouds, and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him will see him. And all the tribes of the earth will wait and wail on account of him. Even so, amen this same jesus who condescended from heaven's glory this same jesus the one who came to seek and save the lost this Same Jesus who healed the sick and raised the dead. This same Jesus who could forgive sin. This same Jesus who died on the cross for our sin. This same Jesus who was raised on the third day, who ascended to the Father 40 days later. This same Jesus who rules and reigns is surely coming again. Is that a comfort to anyone in this room? The second comfort given in the ascension, is found not in Acts chapter 1, but in Matthew chapter 28, which we read earlier. And as we jump to the same scene in this other book, we're met with the great commission that we read to go and make disciples of all nations, yet poured into that commission is a promise that is sweeter than honey. I, this is Jesus speaking, I will be with you. Even to the end of the age and the comfort that springs from that promise is a well of unlimited peace. Never once will we walk alone. Never once as you go to share your faith with a colleague, are you in it by yourself? Never once as you tuck your children to bed at night, are you alone? He's always dear in this work of making disciples. And as I had conversations and thought about our church this week against the backdrop of this passage, I just found it so helpful. People suffering deep loss, uh, death of family members, terminal diagnosis, loss of employment, divorce. There is suffering going on all around us, yet... For those of us who know the ascended Christ, these comforts are ours. And they don't know an expiration date. Christ will come again. And this means the day will come when all is made new and all is made right. All the sad things will come untrue. And until that day comes, Christ is with you. Never once have you ever walked alone. Not one step was taken without Jesus taking it with you. He counts every tear. He holds every day. And so take comfort, saints. Christ will return just like he ascended and just like he promised. If we step back for a moment and just take in the first 11 verses of the book of Acts, you might see one sweeping application, this is how I would say it. The church of Jesus is called to go with the good news of the gospel, busied with the work of making disciples, with full confidence that Christ's return is imminent and his nearness is ever-present. Both the book of Acts and the gospel of Luke record that after Jesus ascended, uh, the disciples returned to Jerusalem with great joy. These final words of Jesus, before he ascended to go be the Father, are, Go and make disciples. Not gazing, but going. Not looking to the sky for signs, but looking around. For gospel opportunities. They were not to stand and look upward. But to move onward. Holding out the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May he fill us with the same task today. Let's ask for his help. Lord thank you for your word. That strengthens and empowers. That clarifies and comforts. That commissions us to be a people who have been sent in the name of the crucified, resurrected, and ascended Lord. and Let us be a people who both eagerly await for your return as we faithfully declare the salvation that comes through Christ alone. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org.